Welcome to the Four of Cups, a card with two names. It is known as the Lord of Luxury, and it is also known as the Lord of Blended Pleasure. And by blended, they don't mean like, you know, frozen margarita. <laughs> it means that the pleasure is mixed with other stuff that's not so pleasant, which we'll talk more about as we proceed with this card. Uh, the Blended Pleasure title is the Golden Dawns title. And of course, Luxury, the more concise and succinct one is uh, Crowley's. Yeah, I think Luxury is a, a good word for it because it does do justice to the idea of having all you need. But Luxury almost implies that you have more than you need. It kind of crosses a bit of a line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's more than sufficient. Right, right. And all that that implies, your needs are more than met. So uh, astrologically, it is um, the final decan of Cancer, 20 degrees to 29 degrees. And in the Golden Dawn sort of formulation of the zodiacal year, that's the last decan of the year. Right. They like to start in Leo 1. It is governed by the moon. Any idea why they did it that way? Was it was an Egyptian thing, the zodiacal the year start thing? There, yeah, I thought it had something to do with the regulus point of the zodiac. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, think about the whole name, the Golden Dawn. It's a very solar cult. That's true. That's true. Regulus being associated with the sun and Leo. That makes sense. So it kind of, uh, it's kind of appropriate that it ends on this sort of very super lunar decade yeah. and then moves straight into the sun, it heightens the differences, uh, in a way that we don't necessarily get moving from the final decade of Pisces to the first decade of Aries in the, in the traditional zodiacal year. Although you're also going from water to fire. So moon in Cancer, uh, super, super lunar, super moony. Because the the moon both rules the final decan of Cancer and rules the sign itself. Yeah, double moon. And then there's the influence of Jupiter from Hesed. Right. A theme that I think we're going to see a lot in this card is the, the changeful nature of the moon. It's waxing and waning more so than in either the Two of Cups or Three of Cups, although they are also both cards of cancer yeah there's the waxing and waning but it's almost as if it's more associated with the full phase of the moon that idea of luxury and and having expansion of jupiter and so it's it's like poised at that phase but as we know it, it can't last it, it changes it has to change it has to change exactly the idea of has said too it's Ooh, it's the first Sephira below the supernal triangle, so below the abyss. And when I think of the fours, I think of them as a sort of plateau point. Like in a computer game, when you hit a checkpoint and you receive mm -hmm. some goodies. And then you level you up. You yeah, you level up, <laughs> you, you load up, you get some new new stuff, but then you have to go on to the next harder phase. Yes. It's kind of like that. Yeah, it's that moment between the four and the five. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. a checkpoint, and it's got some blessings to it, but it's to prepare you for the next thing. Mm -hmm, for the challenges to come. Right. And it's also 
one thing when I think of the fours, they're like the ace of the uh, below the abyss world. So they the fours think of themselves as the ace. Mm-hmm. They they think that there's nothing before <laughs> before them that they're that they're God. They think they're Keter, but they're right. not. <laughs> right, right, right. So they are a kind of a a beginning that you can put your hands on in the way that Keter isn't. I think uh, Crowley called the fours. He said, uh, four is a dead stop, a blind alley, where something needs to happen to shake up and continue the series. And that's what you get with the five. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. has to be like a shakeup in order for the, the suit to continue. There's like a plateau energy there. There's there's something, but the suit's still continuing. Right, right, right. There's right. going to be another checkpoint in the six where some good stuff, some goodies are... But you have to get through five. And then you have to get to the seven where you have challenges of a different sort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, because it's the moon and because it's cancer, we have uh, the associated majors are the high priestess and the chariot. And this is very interesting cabalistically. Um, whereas we had sort of connected paths in the two of cups and three of cups. These are parallel paths. Mm. Uh, we have... Uh, the two, the high priestess going from Keter to Tiferet or vice versa. And parallel to it, we have the chariot on the pillar of form going from Bina to Givora or vice versa. So there is this, um, definitely this, this theme of crossing the abyss. Mm-hmm. And also there, again, we're seeing more kind of container symbolism like we yeah. talked about in the two a little the the priestess says the camel the yes. carrier of water across the abyss and the, the chariot is also being a carrier of the grail or an enclosure that's right that's right again we have um you take the the, the faith with you <laughs> i think that the uh the high priestess to me has always been something of a metaphor for the matriarchy of judaism it's sort of like you carry the house with you the faith travels through the maternal line something like that both the chariot and the priestess are both considered you know vehicles of some of one form or another vehicles Mm -hmm. of conveyance yeah yeah i'm trying to figure out how to distinguish between the sort of vehicular nature of the high priestess versus the magician as a traveler across realms. Because they both do that, but it's different. Yeah, and they're both, both the magician and the priestess have that direct connection to Keter, but the difference is that the priestess brings it down below the abyss. That's right. Um, and that's why we associate her with secrets and the esoteric, because there are things that can't be known about the abyss. Yeah. And things that can't be known about Keter, the, 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 <laughs> right. hid, the hidden one. Right. right. There's an unbridgeable gap. In the Naples arrangement, the four is described as the point defined by three coordinates or matter after the abyss. Right. Here's where things get real. <laughs> This card just reminds me of a dream I had once uh, when I was first becoming familiar with the symbolism of Kabbalah, where I had to go to the convent of the blue nuns to go get something and bring it back 
to someone. <laughs> and there is definitely the, a camel the, the involved. Blue nun. So that's, yeah. That sounds like the priestess. Yes. <laughs> But also the chariot, because I had to go get something and bring it somewhere, you know, that sort of grail like keeper of the thing. Yeah, the precious object. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> the dreams that occultists have. And I guess it's worth thinking about, since we talked about the moon's rulership of cancer, it's interesting to think about the way the high priestess rules over the chariot in a way. You know, in those parallel paths, it's almost like the chariot is trying to reflect or emulate what the high priestess does. You know, just on a sort of general interpretive level, I think of the chariot as essentially selfless, but carrying out the, uh, the will of someone like an emperor or some, you know, a hero figure, a Parsifal figure, someone who carries out a holy mission. Yeah. It's got a definite questing and martial quality to it yeah yeah and there's definitely a hero's journey associated with it whereas the high priestess is like the sacred itself you know the reason for the mission the thing behind the veil right it's almost like the chariot is in service to the high priest it's almost like she is the precious object right what's really interesting about this card is that in spite of how good you would think it would be being Having the moon ruling the Deccan of the sign that's ruled by the moon. Right. And having it be in the Sephira of Jupiter. It's almost like it's too much of a good thing. I like something that Crowley said about the four as a form of limitation and restriction because of its structure. And he said it was uh, the Tetragrammaton in its fatal aspect of finality as known before the revolving formula of the daughter ascending to the throne of the mother and awakening yes. the eld of the father. Yes, there's something very stagnant about fours yeah. that he's trying to get, a, get across there. And he, he also mentioned another thing. He wrote a lot about that particular card for whatever reason. And another thing I thought was interesting, he describes the magic number of four. So the magic number, if you add one plus two plus three plus four, you get ten. Mm-hmm. And when you picture that, you if you put four, three, two, one, you have this little pyramid, this little stack. Tetractus, I think it's yeah, called. Yeah, and he, he describes how it's an illustration of the number folding in upon itself, that idea of somehow it a restriction there as the thing collapses in upon itself. Yeah. The structure. Oh, that's interesting. And just the idea of 10 being Malkut, there is a certain amount of the restriction of matter there, you know, the density of it. Yes. Yeah, implied within the 10 from before. I keep feeling that there's something really important I'm missing about the high priestess and the chariot. Uh, yeah, the chariot is, in a way, you know, another form of the camel itself. Yeah, the camel, which is associated with Gimel, which is associated with the high priestess. And the um, and the chariot is associated with Het, which is associated with enclosure. So, uh, or fence. So, I guess with They're both... They're both transporting liquid yeah, of one form or another. Yeah, and the crab with its hard shells surrounding the soft, squishy center. So, you know, crabs, camels... It's all, it's all sort of related. I think, um, yeah, maybe we should go over the, the, the story again from, uh, like we did at the beginning of the Two of Cups and Three of Cups, where we talked about how 
the door or dalit of Venus and the house house of Mercury <laughs> or bet of yeah. Mercury, sorry, and then the camel or gimel of high priestess. It all express different forms of the chariot, but are a sort of an overall story of conception, nurturing, and, and gestation. Yeah, and birth or gestation, yeah. yeah. The yeah. quickening phase in the middle. And there's something about the priestess, I feel also, that's inherent to a woman's cycle of fertility. She's not the mother in the way that the empress is the mother pregnant. She represents, to me at least, that cycle that endlessly repeats, you know, where you're fertile at one point and not fertile at another, and it just goes back and forth, or rather, Round and round. Well, until uh, menopause. <laughs> like the cycles of the moon. And mm -hmm. there's something about the obvious, you know, double moon influence, but that Jupiter is here as well. Jupiter just wants to expand and expand and expand, but the moon is going to expand and contract and fluctuate. That's right. They're different that way. Yeah. They're different that way. There's a mixed message. And also the, with the moon... The moon is an amplifier in a way, you know, in magical yeah. practice. So for good or ill. Definitely. So if the moon's in good condition, then that's great. But if it's in bad condition, equally bad. It's a powerful force, but it's, it's a not simply It's a reflector positive. of what's there. Exactly. Yeah. Like a mirror. Mm -hmm. There's a lot in this card about feelings as well. Mm. Just that, you know, cancer and the moon. I think there's a lot to do with an emotional peak. Or an emotional point being reached at which something has to be considered. Right. And uh, also, interestingly, I think, and I'm not sure where this arises from, but we associate cancer with two different parts of the body anatomically. We associate cancer with the breasts for nurturing, but we also associate cancer with the stomach, you know, for digestion. Mm. And, uh, you know, disorders of either are Yeah, they're both about being fed, you mm -hmm. know, with the press or Yes, giving nourish. and one is receiving, yeah. <laughs> waxing and waning. <laughs> so the, the time of year associated with the third decan of cancer is July 13th to July 20th, one of the hotter times in this hemisphere, one of the colder times in the southern hemisphere. The imagery of the decans is quite peculiar. Well, you know, when is it not? But um, uh, I have asked a couple of well-known astrologers what a selhafe is, and I haven't been able to get any I answer. Know. I tried to figure that out. I, I tried looking it up in various dictionaries, and uh, I don't think nobody I could knows. figure it out. Nobody I was going to ask you to see if you knew what Yeah, it was. I have exhausted my resources trying to figure this one out, and I do not know. I wonder self if it's a typo. I don't think so. It, it sounds like Anglo-Saxon, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, a selhafe with a snake in his hand who has golden chains before him. That's from the Picatrix, uh, signifying running, writing, and acquisitions by means of war, lawsuits, and conflict. And then from Agrippa, we have a man, a hunter with his lance and horn, bringing out dogs for to hunt. Uh, the contention of men, the pursuing of those who fly, the hunting and possessing of things by arms and brawlings. So, so there's definitely intimations of conflict here. As well as the, um, the dogs and the hunting does make me That's think That's Artemis, Artemis, right? Yeah, that, that lunar huntress. Yeah. And the idea that, you know, for someone to eat, someone must die. <laughs> yeah. And the golden chains and the picatrix, that's sort of a luxury 
type uh, reference, the idea that luxury binds you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A certain limitation of luxury. The right. restriction. It's an idea of being restricted by it. Um, I've read something about the reason this card has a little bit of an undercurrent of that tension here is that it's got too much water, and that water is not really controllable. I mean, you can put it in a container, but, it, you know, you can't really control it. It's going to leak out in all sorts of ways. It's, right. Right. It reminds you of the sort of the the nature of the sea as well, which is to nurture and to provide, but also a destructive force. Uh, particularly, I think its potential is is inherent in this card. There's also that the idea that when we, we we've talked about the story of the elements, so in the in the two, it's at its purest form, the purest expression. Nothing comes before it but Keter. Then the three, it's really still pretty stable and established. But then in the four, where it's the first one below the supernals and past the abyss and more in this kind of world of matter. Mm -hmm. Crowley says it's uh, here below the abyss. It introduces the seeds of decay into the fruit of pleasure. I like that quote a lot. I have that also written down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's, there's death and life and life and death. It's an interesting way to build on what we saw in the three of cups where he says, he says that the good things in life although enjoyed, should be distrusted. So this is like the development of that shows the danger, shows the um, decay. Enjoy it while it lasts. And interestingly enough, it's, that is also true in the historical and cardomantic references to this card. Like the Four of Hearts, I read, brings bad news and upcoming danger. Uh, its negative dimension refers to the world of feelings and emotions, Short-term situations or betrayal, so there's a tricking quality to it, a form of lateness in a project that's recently started, or a possible danger and prejudice as its direct result. And Etea says something about uh, it bringing about difficulties that will test you soon, and people who you detest will be near you. He's so dark. What's kind of interesting, too, is in the four, it seems like a lot of that message of upcoming, that seed of decay, is the approaching five. Yeah. And if you look in 777 at the magical image of the five, it actually sounds like the chariot. It says, a mighty warrior in his chariot, armed and crowned. But that's in the five. The next card, it's after these chariot cards. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the other thing that comes to mind when we talk about the hunting metaphors in the decanic imagery is the idea that this is associated with the desire nature, this card, very much so in Mm -hmm. a number of different contexts. I mean, I sometimes see the Four of Cups as, you know, Siddhartha Gautama sitting under the yeah, tree. Yeah, I was actually going to yeah. mention that because when you see him sitting there, it's it, it looks like, you know, Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree contemplating. Right. And there is that idea because Jupiter is uh, associated with Hesed that Jupiter is a lot to do with philosophical musings of that nature. Yes, and the four noble truths yep. of Buddhism. Uh, and also I think that, you know, what started the Buddha out on his journey was, he was the, the pampered princeling, right? But what started him out was seeing an old man 
could be a Jupiter figure, but uh, seeing an old man who was, you know, not in the prime of health anymore, and it made him ask about death and dying. So again, the seeds of decay and the fruits of pleasure, his his upbringing had been such that he never saw any signs. And yet of that. he had the luxury to ponder such things. That's right. Which often in this more struggling existence, you don't have that right. ability to, you know, just have the luxury to sit around and think about <laughs> these deeper thoughts. Right. I had a colleague years back, we were in academic publishing, and we would think about those philosophers and, you know, thinking their deep thoughts and what their poor wives were doing while <laughs> these men just sat around wondering if their finger was real or not. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also that, you know, the idea with luxury that once you get to that degree of opulence, you have an obsession with it remaining perfect. And so you become extra sensitive to the flaws, the things that are not perfect. And that is the curse of that kind of luxury. Your your pleasure becomes blended. Yeah, there's a certain amount of dissatisfaction with everything and because it's nothing can be perfect. Right. Uh, Book T says it's receiving pleasure, but with some slight discomfort and anxieties. First world problems. Yeah, I think it also said something about this combination of the moon and cancer uh, being strong feelings in a stationary period that may or may not continue, and that it was uh, too passive for perfect happiness. Yes. Yeah, I think maybe the idea here is that while Jupiter gives and gives and creates this luxurious atmosphere, the moon creates uncertainty. So the uncertainty is the seed of decay, the fact that you can't hold on to it. You know, and despite the impulse in a four to keep things the same, you can't. All right, shall we go card by card? Sure. All right, so Rider Waite Smith. Um, oh, yeah, there's, there's something about this card that just look at the weather in this card. It feels like the dog days of summer. It feels humid and like when it feels like nothing's moving, mm. right? It has that four feel about it. It does have a certain stagnation. It's droopy. Um, feel. And there might even be a bit of stubbornness in his posture. For sure. Well, he does remind me of the, the Buddha on, sitting under the Bodhi tree, but there's a, there's a certain rigidity the way his arms are crossed. Right. Uh, there's a dissatisfaction. And, uh, or else he has a stomach ache, which is very Cancerian as well. Uh, I, I have a note here from when, um, a couple years ago, I was talking to Zoe about this card and I said, why do you think he's ignoring the hand with the cup? And Zoe said, because he's full already, <laughs> which is very much That's in the nature yeah. of this card. I also want to show you, and y'all can look it up, but I'm showing Mel the deviant moons imagery which I really love, which is just this, nice. this person on a balcony dropping a cup because they're bored to tears. They're so dissatisfied with their life that they've got nothing better to do than, uh, you know, throw their luxuries away. The other thing that I'm struck by in the Rider Waite image is that cup that's being on offer, it's coming from a a hand coming out of a cloud. And doesn't it remind you of the ace? It sure does. And it's, yeah. Because there's this idea that the four is the ace of the material That reminds world, me of the that. the four thinks it's an ace, you mm -hmm. know? Exactly. Yeah, I never, I never noticed that until you mentioned it. That's really cool. And also just the, um, you know, the fact that the three cups are kind of set 
aside, it kind of harkens back to the three of cups that we just saw, you know, where here is, here is the pleasure and here's the abundance. And it's like set aside and you're looking at it from the outside because you can no longer experience it in the same way. Coming from Rider Waite Smith and really kind of relating to the, um, dissatisfaction in this card, I always had trouble relating it to thought luxury later on, but they do go together. It does kind of make sense. Yeah, it, it takes some thought about it, but once you do, you realize that, yeah, luxury does come with that mm-hmm. element to it. Mm-hmm. It's both dissatisfaction, but also you can flip it the other way around and think of it as satisfaction in the sense that you recognize you already have enough. You know, mm. you don't need any more. I um, think Crowley called yeah. it the warm bath and how pleasurable it is, but they, they cool. <laughs> yes. They do not stay warm forever. You can, you can only lay in there so long. That's right. At some point you're done. Maybe that's a good segue into the Thoth card. Yeah, it is. I'm just trying to think if there's anything we should pick up from the High Priestess in the Chariot for that Rider Waite Smith Four of Cups imagery-wise. Again, just the mystical nature of the High Priestess in the Chariot, the um, meditative inner journey, that's something that could be happening in the sense of the Buddha under the tree. I've often seen fours, Four of Cups and Four of Swords both read as meditative cards yeah. to me. Yep. There's the whole three and one division. Yes. Which kind of speaks a little of the chariot being the three and one conveyed. Right. And oh, you know, and here's an interesting idea. The idea that like, if the charioteer is the bearer of the grail, at some point it must have been handed to him mm. just like that. You know, here, take this cup and this is your mission. So this could be, in a sense, the beginning of that story. Yeah, the checkpoint. Here's your here's your um, <laughs> here's your special prize that you're going to need. <laughs> right, right. That comes from apparently nowhere. Yeah. Time to level up. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that um, another way to look at those that that cup and the three other cups is the idea that okay, you have the supernals and the three cups, and here this is the gift they're giving you. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Oh, and uh, and Waite said of this, I can't remember if I read the quote or not, but Waite said, his expression, notwithstanding, is one of discontent with his environment. So um, so that was Waite's take on this card. So Thoth, ah, Thoth, this is such a gorgeous card, really. He has a point that he makes about the multiplicity of the stems. It's no longer coming from a single stem, and that's mm. important. To him, I think he cruelly related that to uh, the, you know, the expression of individuals and how that causes, that's part of the seeds of decay. Yeah, I noted something about that where he mentions the dual stem from the central lotus, the dyad gathering strength, yet secretly preparing for the catastrophe <laughs> ahead. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important also that it's not, the light's not, overflowing the way it was in the two and three, right? Yeah, only the upper two cups are overflowing, Mm -hmm. and then the bottom two are not. So I think Mm -hmm. that's another way of saying blended pleasure. You know, half of it is is 
overflowing and half of it is stagnant. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's never going to be more than it is now. In fact, this reminds me of the term peak oil, <laughs> you know, where we have as much uh, fossil fuels as we ever will have. And he says something about uh, a parallel between the geomantic figures of Via oh, and yeah. Populus and how they're related to the different phases of the moon, the moon's increase with um, populace and the moon's decrease with via. Yes, he got, he wrote it the other way, but he got it wrong, I think. But um, you're right that it should be, you know, populace is the figure with all eight right, sort of lined all, up together. Yeah. So that's the increase. And, and then via is all four in a line. Right, just four in one line. And that it's via is supposed to be sort of a negative figure except for journeying. Because yeah, it means road, it means of the way, and uh, populace mm-hmm. means you know the people, the people, the people in the way. Both via and populace are associated with water. They're both associated with cancer and the moon as well. Oh, neat. which is yeah. probably why he mentions them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was mentioning that the the figure of the cups, the 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 symmetry of the card, calls to mind uh, those two figures. The other thing that uh, I notice in this card is the cups themselves look a lot like trophies. They do. They have that look of a golden golden prize, a golden trophy, which brings back my checkpoint. Here's your trophy. <laughs> <laughs> or a, I think the trophy was, uh, the form of the trophy was taken from the loving cup, mm, I think. Yeah, with the two handles with the two on handles. each side. Yep. Right. That is meant to be shared. And the uppermost and only actually lotus in the card it looks kind of um droopy yes it doesn't you know it's it's kind of its head is bowed down which is a preview of what we're going to see in the thoth five of cups where they're not only bowed down but the petals are coming off coming off off, right yeah yeah the sea is um the sea is ruffled ruffled showing some approaching storm perhaps changing of the tides (laughs) yeah and the the two upper cups are on Looks like they're perched on the leaves of the lotus, but the lower cups are kind of just sitting on the surface of the water or on the the roots or something. They they don't look like they have much support or stability. Right, they're floating. Then there's the square bases of the cups. Oh yeah, what's up with that? Is that well? That could be a a reference to four. four Yeah, yeah, matter. Four of matter, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I also notice in those swirly roots, mm-hmm. there's that um, analemna or solar lemnus. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's about that idea of cycling, you know, mm-hmm. a cyclic process mm-hmm. going on. That's interesting. Or it could be just kind of looking like the sign of cancer, too. Mm. <laughs> a yeah. little bit. A little bit. But it really does look more like an analemma or infinity sign. Which you wouldn't think, you know, this is so lunar unless you consider that the moon reflects the light of the sun. Mm -hmm. And you see the moon doesn't uh, have light of its own. Right. I think it's an interesting choice uh, sometimes that Lady Frida would draw an actual moon rather than just the glyph of the moon at the top, which she did here. Maybe that's a... You know, reference to how strong the moon is in this card. And then the sky, there's, you know, 
Mm-hmm. We talked about how there's messages in the water, and here mm-hmm. we see the roughly water. And then you look at the sky, and it looks very gray, and um, it does look like a storm approaching. Looks like something's happening, yeah. Yeah, it's not there yet, but it looks like it's just the the, the sea change, the weather change, approaching front. It'd be interesting to look at the... Uh... The five of cups and see how the weather changed. Oh, yeah, I see. Red, red sky. <laughs> and the lotus in this card is pink. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's kind of Venusian, that's a, huh? That's a, that's, well, it can also be a solar color. It's a color of Tiferet, but maybe, again, maybe the pink, if you look at the next card, it's very red. Maybe it's just a little hint uh, yeah. of that um, approaching. Yeah. Color to come of Gavora. Yes, red, yeah, red, red, crimson. Mm -hmm. And, oh, there's such a contrast between the four, the solidity and the square base of these four, and then the next ones are glass Mm. in the five of cups, I mean. What about, uh, what? how does it look in comparison to the majors? There's a little bit of visual parallel between those beams of light of the priestess and the, the way the water is divided into all those kind of beams yeah and you know she has her seven lunar crescent is it seven on top uh, of hers mm-hmm. and then we have the one lunar crescent on the top of this and uh, of course the chariot's full of fourfold imagery with the four beasts and the four pillars that he's standing between yeah the cup in the charioteer's arms also has the uh handles on the side that form the the cancer glyphs oh. there. Uh, and when we look at the chariot in Thoth, we're looking sort of, it's, it's as if we're looking down into the cup. It's as if yeah. he's tilting it towards yep. us. It's not like he's holding, a, you know, a, a vinyl record, <laughs> which is kind of what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. And also the um, camel of the priestess, and just, again, sort of just reminds me of these themes of adequacy and luxury. So you have enough to get you through. And, you know, you can recognize that and either be satisfied or dissatisfied with it. In fact, the the camel is always so fascinating to me because, you know, it's the ship of the desert. And to have a camel, if you lived in a desert culture, was truly great wealth because you could go anywhere. uh, You had food, you had water, you were self-sufficient. And it makes me think of just in general with travel – you know, you always have to think, what do I want and what do I need? Questions of luxury versus sufficiency always come up when you're on the move. Yeah, yeah how much yeah. to take with you? How much is too much and how, how much, much is, is enough? Much. Right. This, in practical application, you can think of the Four of Cups as being your packing your luggage card. <laughs> okay, on to Tabula Mundi. Yeah, so the card has uh, the giant wave. And that's directly from the chariot card of Tabula Mundi. So there's, there's several things about that wave in relation to this card. So we talked about how the four is associated with um, Jupiter, which has some association with Poseidon in the sea. And also the fact that if you think about a wave, it has a high point and a crest, and it's followed by the next phase, you know, where it crashes and builds again process and i do think of this card as often being sort of an emotional high point where we're really enjoying things yeah but you know you can't stay at the top of the wave forever the the wave has a cycle and you know what follows next is that 
that crashing energy of the wave where things get really churned up when you get to the right the, the next point. And um, in this card, we've got all four phases of the moon. So in the two of cups, I have the light and dark phase for polarity. In the three of cups, I have all the light phases for that abundance. And then in this card, you have all four phases in, of the uh, lunar cycle. Yeah, so in a way that sort of reminds me of just the fact that, you know, complete models of of the world, you can express them as twos or threes or fours, really. Yeah. One thing I always loved about this card in your deck is that they look like so similar, the four of cups and the chariot. And when I first got it, I held them up real close to see, did, did you use the same way? But no, you redrew the whole I thing, did, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, I, I <laughs> used the same shape, but I re redrew everything. Every line's different in yep. it. Yeah. yeah. And also just tying it back to, um, you didn't really talk about this before, but just tying it back to the idea of the hanged man being in all of the cups cards, I would say that the side of the hanged man that I see in this is that sort of death and rebirth thing that happens. Yeah, that you know? cycle. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And there's the idea of the ocean being boundless, mm -hmm. and we think of it as being inexhaustible, but that's mm -hmm. not exactly true. It right. is. It does regenerate, and it gives a lot of bounty, but I don't think it's maybe not perpetual if hmm. we abuse it. I yeah, mean, that's you certainly think something of the... The limitlessness of the, the ocean, mm -hmm. but it has its, it has its fullness and its peaks and its tides. It's the tides, the waxing and the waning. Mm -hmm. And it brings a lot of gifts. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a very, uh, full thing. Right. And I'm thinking about how the crab, the chariot cancer, the crab is a tidal creature. So its life is governed by the moon, right? By the priestess and, uh, how she controls the cycles of its life. And I think that, you know, in the Four of Cups, you can maybe think of it as we are the crab <laughs> and, you know, our, and our lives are determined by forces beyond our control. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. What about the pearl? So, yeah, so the pearl's really interesting. It, if you think of how a pearl is made, a little grit, a grain of sand, you know, that seed of decay at yes. the center of something. But yet it builds up through that irritation. It builds a coating and it makes this object, this beautiful object of luxury. Of great value. Yeah, yes. of value and luxury. The pearl is a symbol of perfection. It's a, it's a symbol of wisdom gained through life experience or wisdom through experience or value created through that process. Just like there is wisdom through going through these cycles of highs and lows that we go through. And it's also, you know, it is a symbol of luxury and it's a symbol of uh, femininity, weddings and high points, emotional high points of your life. Right. Takes me right back to the book T uh, quote of receiving pleasure, but with some slight discomfort and anxieties without that little bit of grit. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot make the pearl. And there's also the idea of the pearl being enclosed in a shell and it can only grow so big. So there's this idea of this card that eventually the womb becomes too small and you have to break out. Right. It's pleasant in there and you want to hang out in the bathwater forever, but eventually, you know, growth happens and, and mm -hmm. you have to move on to something new. Is that a scallop shell? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of what you borrowed from the chariot card in here. How about what you borrowed from the priestess card? The lunar phases and the pearl. Mm -hmm. I mean, she is the moon, so Mm -hmm. this card is really all about the moon as both in this particular version, Tabula Mundi's version, but in general, Mm -hmm. there's so much moon in this card. The priestess was able to be summed up by these lunar faces. And the pearl also has a little bit of a connection to the priestess as well. If you think of, you know, the term the pearl of great price or the pearl of wisdom. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, because she is the our archetype of wisdom with her book and her mm-hmm. knowledge and her secrets. Right. Oh, and the colors. We didn't talk about the colors. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the main color of the queen scale is blue, and you see a lot of blue in this card. Uh, the colors it's combined with the colors of Cancer, the uh, chariot, which we've talked about. So, but to ref. Phrase them, they're uh, amber, maroon, rich russet, and dark greenish brown. So you do see the amber and maroon and russet in the colors of the scallop shell and uh, the dark greenish brown in portions of the wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the, all the lovely, beautiful lunar colors from the priestess card. Uh, the blue, the silver, the cold pale blue, and the silver rayed sky blue. It's Pretty hard without metallics to paint silver, but it's implied in the the sheen of the pearl. Yes, the pearl has a silvery sheen. Yeah. Right. As does the face of the moon. There's a silvery quality to the the moon's lit up side. I'm trying to think of, um, just sort of going through in my mind, the uh, other moon miners. Let's see, we've got one in Taurus. We've got one. Two of Swords. Two of Swords. Uh, Cancer, Leo Virgo, Corp. Pio, no. Uh, Libra, yes. Um, um, the uh, Nine of Wands. Nine of Wands, that's what I was trying to get, and I have Seven of Swords. So so I think that, um, you know, just like we were saying that the Three of Wands is sort of the most solar sun card, this is the most lunar yeah. uh, moon card. Yeah, for sure. Of all the, the minds, even more so, really. The moon is in its rulership, both in terms of sign and in face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and there is something about as good as the moon is, it's also not purely good. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. There's an instability about the moon that it's you contrary. don't see in the sun <laughs> as much. Right. It's a little less trustworthy or something. Right, <laughs> right. There's always that idea with the moon that the sun is direct, the sun is straightforward, but with the moon, it's things reflective change. and it's reflective of whatever conditions that's right and the light is not as bright so you can see things that aren't real Mm. which is also what makes it you know the the light of magic uh, the ability to perceive non-ordinary reality which can also just be an illusion all right so uh practical applications you know it this card for me when i see it can go either way it can either be focused on you know the purely good aspects of luxury and the these emotional highs or it can be this little bit of um foreshadowing of the um next phase Mm -hmm. when i see this it comes up a lot for situations where there's a real like upwelling of emotion in some way yeah yeah, I've gotten this card for just being super emotional or super moody. Although I don't actually get this card all that often. It's not one of my frequently drawn minors. You know, I've also gotten it 
this is super obvious too for uh on eclipse days mm. yeah when yep. the moon is particularly lunar eclipses and i do not know why but there seems to be a visual component to this card for me like uh what days when i've gotten sort of caught up in graphic design or in fabric design or something like that you know i mean every day is like that for you because you're an artist but for me it's not that often and i don't know why but Mm, that's interesting i think it's because for me at least personally in my own lexicon of tarot it's like i only do visual uh expressions when i have extra time it's you know my primary art is words and you know if i go on a trip or something and i'm on vacation then i'll draw or i'll like make things but to me there needs to be the luxury of time i've also seen this card come up for you know hedonism and yeah the need to let go of a place of sanctuary yeah and and branch out a little Mm -hmm. being a little too sheltered and you know needing to have a little discomfort to move forward Mm -hmm. i think I'm thinking about it now with the fabric design thing. I think it has to do with wrapping things because I also got it on Christmas Eve. <laughs> so the fabric wraps things and there's this enclosure thing with the chariot oh, yeah. and the yep. four, you know, yep. there's just like sort of like wrap it all up and, and present it as a present <laughs> of luxury. <laughs> That's right. Bear it somewhere like the chariot. <laughs> and also, you know, if you look at the Rider Waite four of cups, there is that sort of like, it's like giving you a present. Hmm. That's funny. Okay, so to sum up, uh, we've talked about um, this very complex card, really, um, which is appropriate because of the waxing and the waning of the moon and the many faces that it presents to us. So some of the things we've talked about are, uh, well, the moon, of course, uh, and the relationship to the high priestess and the chariot, the sort of doubly lunar quality of the card as being uh, moon ruling the Deccan and moon ruling the sign. The seed of decay and the fruits of pleasure. God, the, I love that. The idea of the fours thinking they're an ace or presenting as the ace of the material world. Pleasure with slight discomfort and anxieties, first world problems. Fours as some sort of limitation or restriction. The restriction of matter itself. Mm-hmm. The shell that contains the the creature oh we talked about uh siddhartha gautama the buddha and his philosophical musings under the tree on the end of suffering the four noble truths the desire nature the warm bath waters that eventually cool (laughs) yeah the unreliability and changeability of the moon its trickster and betrayal qualities and the waters of the womb that eventually become too small the womb itself becoming too small. Yeah, and indeed the idea that birth is the contraction of the container. The container forces you out. The emotional high point, uh, the uh, high point of a wave and its corresponding crest and crash. The ruffled sea that reflects the troubled sky. Oh, the idea of hunting we talked about. Uh, And the relationship between Zeus and his brother Poseidon. Uh, Eclipses. The magic number of four and how it folds in upon itself. And its relationship to the geomantic figures Via and Populus, both those figures and the Tetractus, and the color blue. Lots of the color blue. Okay, well, that has been the Four of Cups, uh, waxing and waning, coming and going, 
Thank you for being here with us, wherever you are going and wherever you're coming from. We will be back next week. Brace yourselves for the Five of Cups. We'll try not to make it a disappointment. (laughs) Excellent.